think it would be um, interesting for me to hear from all of you um, when you came to a retreat on surrendering to love. What you uh, what you thought might happen? What were your expectations? What would you like to happen? Yes, Alice. I think I was hoping for uh, teachings on love as a pathway to awakening. I didn't have any expectation about the subject. I just wanted to be with the group sitting with you today. I was going to say I go along with Alice, <laughs> but I didn't. I I didn't really have expectation. I I didn't think it would be like a standard kind of method. No, we can't. I think what's come up for me is a lot of pain. So wanting to give love and space to to pain and experiencing it as much as possible um, in, a, in a contained self-love <clears throat> We're just asking, the question is, what were your expectations or what were you hoping to come find on a retreat of surrendering to love? That was the question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know Yes. I, I didn't come with the 
expectations as much as hope that I find peace, that I sort of tend to lose, and I go I need to be Yes. What can I do without the surrender? <coughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> very good question. <coughs> Did everyone hear that question? Yeah. His question was, "What exactly do we have to surrender?" And it's to love, and I'd like to know, like, what is love? What is love? Let me let me speak for a little while and then we'll go back into meditation practice. What is love? Wow, that's a good question. You know, love is one of those words that's been hackneyed. You know, so it's it's used a dime a dozen and it can mean it can mean ten thousand things depending on the context. So you could say I love ice cream, you know. Or I love my iPhone. I love persimmons or I love the wind or I love the beauty or I love children you can mean a million things so we have the contemporary way of using that language which is related to things we have that way of using that language which is related to a whole range of feelings with people, which can be from tenderness and affection and caring to raging lust. We can call lust love. You know, so I'm in love with somebody can be a euphemism for actually a quite beside myself. (laughs) And there might not be any real feelings of tenderness or affection at all, but the language has gotten mixed up. So the love, word love can, can, can be related to our relationships and can be a whole range of, of what we're experiencing in relationship from being absolutely platonic and pure-hearted to being absolutely not platonic and very, very clearly focused, very desire-based. There's another kind of love, and I don't know how many people have had experience of it, but it's kind of love that really sees you for who you are, connects with who you are, and doesn't want anything. You know? Absolutely has no agenda, no expectation, no, um, there's no hooks, there's no strings attached. And If you've experienced that kind of love, you know that that kind of love is absolutely categorically in a class unto its own. You know, it's not the spectrum of human relationship that has kind of um, agendas attached to it, and it has not to do with objects, you know. It's, um, It's vast, it's pure, it's pure, it's inclusive, it... It's able to hold dark and light. It doesn't split. It doesn't have any. Um, it doesn't have any need to be affirmed. 
Now, one of the people for whom my most powerful and direct experience of this kind of love was with Deepama. Have any of you heard of Deepama? A couple of people, yeah. Deepama is a... um, She was born in, in, uh, in Bengal, and she emigrated to Calcutta during the partition of India. And she grew up... Um, you know, she was betrothed at the age of twelve, and 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 um, and married. And her husband, uh, one week after marriage, went to Burma. So she was living with her in-laws, and then two years later, she followed him to Burma. And you know, the loss that she experienced from you know living with her in-laws and not having connection with her own family and being in another country and not speaking the language and. She couldn't conceive a child, and her in-laws wanted her husband to abandon her, to marry another woman, and she finally did have a child, and the child died. I mean, just, you know, unbelievable (coughs) suffering. She had a very strong, clear connection with wanting to meditate. And so after a a significant series of tragedies, you know, like in a 10-year period of time, she'd lost two children... She'd lost her husband, she'd lost her health, and both of her parents were dead, and she was in a foreign country. You know? And so she decided to practice. And so when she went to practice, it was not like, well, maybe I'll practice and maybe <laughs> I'll go surfing. <laughs> it was like there was nothing else in the whole world that she had any interest to do at all. I mean, everything else was like, it's like the carpet had been pulled out from underneath her, and there was. She felt like she was dying. She wanted to die. She hoped to die. She went to the retreat so she could die. You know. But what happened was is that she did die, but not in the way we normally think of. You know, the kind of grasping and identification with the, of her mind, with her the things that she was thinking. That's what she let go of. And because of who she was and because of her personal predicament her mind focused very very powerfully and what she opened up to was for profound transformation and realization and my experience of being with her you know I had heard many stories about her she was a highly attained practitioner I mean this was not an ordinary run-of-the-mill kind of a yogi. This was somebody who was highly accomplished, highly, highly accomplished. And in the process of her practice, she had mastered all of the psychic powers. So all of them she could do, she had access to. And I'd heard stories about all of these things, okay? And when I was in her presence, you know, this incredibly accomplished powerful practitioner there was one thing that I noticed actually it was two and they were related to each other the depth of her stillness and the quality of love it was like being in a a vast ocean vast that absolutely embraced everything it did not exclude anything she, I had never seen anybody look at me with such clear seeing, and it was such warm embracing, you know. 
So that became a reference point of what love is that put all of those others in a spectrum of like very much different category even though not to trivialize that you know that they can have also have meaning for us and also you know be part of our language but it was a very very different quality and caliber of love and what was really interesting to me about Deepama was many years after having met her and having known her, I was reading um, a story of her, uh, stories about her, and one of the things that she said was is that mindfulness and love are two sides of the same thing. And I found it very affirming because it was the same conclusion that I had come to in my own practice. Mindfulness has the ability to embrace whatever is there. It does not exclude. The discriminating mind is that can discern and exclude is not the same as mindfulness. It's a different quality. Yeah. So that quality of, of awareness or mindfulness, which has the ability to know things as they are, the other side of it is the warmth of what brings things into an embracing relationship with that. Yeah, the two sides are the same. So that's that's the love. Yeah. And what are we surrendering is all the stuff that keeps us from experiencing that, from knowing that. And for most of us, what keeps us from experiencing that and knowing that is our identification with all of the things and all of the kinds of love that are in relationship that are not that kind of love. Yeah. Yeah. So our job is to wake up to what's going on and to know that the stuff that we think, that we feel, that we sense, that we cognize is arising in a field of awareness that is not different from love. And the affections and the tenderness and the relationships that we have with each other, as we let go of expecting people to do things for us or wanting our love to be a conditioned relationship with them based on what they will give us, as we let go of more and more of that to just being present with them and loving them and offering that love up as as an expression of being in love, resting in love, then our human relationships move more in that direction. You know, where we stop looking at people as objects of desire fulfillment or desire frustration and just as 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 a, as as it arising in love to love for love you know which does not whitewash and diminish the whole kind of relational field of what's needed in order to actually get one's needs met ask for what they are and see that they're attended to which is sometimes you know why we feel so frustrated and so angry is because some boundaries have been transgressed that actually need to be 
um, maintained. But there's a very big difference to maintain that boundary as a as an attitude of self-love and as an attitude of a greater love, you know, than it is a, as an attitude of fear and as an attitude of kind of like vengeance, you know. So, um, our work, as I see it, is to really begin to see the difference between the stuff that we experience and who we actually are. You know? It's like changing from focusing on the weather to having our attention be in the sky. You know, the weather is constantly changing, and sometimes it's the weather is, you know, it's a little bit windy, the weather's a little bit cool. Sometimes the fog is socked in. Sometimes, you know, there's thunderstorm or clouds that are coming. Sometimes it's raining or snowing. We had a hurricane on the East Coast not long ago. We've got a cold front now. It's That's the weather. But the sky is a kind of vast, open, spacious, clear knowing that actually doesn't have preferences or judgments. The judgments and preferences arise in awareness. They are known in awareness. And we can relate to them from compassion in awareness, you know, out of wisdom. But as soon as we grab onto something, you know, when there's grabbing onto something, there's going to be some energy in that that's going to have a residue. It's going to take some processing to figure it out. So, what is it that we're surrendering to? Fabulous question. All the stuff that keeps us freaked out, stuck, and worried about the weather. <laughs> and not what lets us relax into the sky. Now, in my own experience, I have never come across magic wands that go voop voop and it's done. You know, it's not that's not been my path. And there's been a whole huge endeavor to cultivate metta as part of getting a feeling for what this is as a as a something that I can c- connect with and know you know as as a as an energy that that's familiar to me but cultivating metta is rather different from relaxing into something that's innate okay we can deliberately bring our attention to focus on generating attitudes and behaviors and mind states that are open and spacious and loving. But that is, again, a radical departure from relaxing into something that has always been there, that will always be there, and that no matter what, there's nothing that we could ever do that it's going to make it go away. We can put tar on our eyes and face so that we can't see it, but it doesn't make it go away. So, really, the, the important thing of meditation is to take us where we're at, to move us a couple steps further along, and to keep reminding us to connect with source, connect with source, connect with source. Keep returning 
to essence of what was always there, will always be there, and is not dependent on conditions. Connect to source. So when I thought of the words surrendering to love, for me there was what I had in mind was the mixture of cultivating metta and relaxing our grasp onto our the conditionings that we, we, we arrive at through our senses, what we think, what we feel, what we believe about ourselves and each other and the world, the various different ways that we construct our identity. And so when we surrender that, it's not like a free fall into, into some kind of a psychotic disintegration. <laughs> but it's no joke to do. And so it requires um, the ground to allow for that level of groundlessness, you know. And that's why refuges and precepts and having a container and feeling our body and being anchored to our body, all of these things are absolutely fundamentally essential for developing the container that's needed in order to take us from where we are to a few steps down the way and to start being able to feel a genuine care and kindness in our way of working with the stuff that's arising, the pain that we have, the anger that we have, the feelings that we have, the anxieties that we have, the depression that we have, the kind of emptiness that we have, the hopes and the expectations that we have, until we can realize that all of that is stuff that is just arising in the mind that none of that is actually who we are. And there can be a shift in our identity from taking all of that to be who and what we are to learning how to rest and relax more in essence or source or unconditioned love or pure awareness or the awakened mind as essence. But that's who we are. So, you know, we have a weekend. We have a weekend. For most of us, this is a lifetime work. You know, at least one lifetime worth of work. So it's really, you know, a question of Priorities and importance and how much you value as to how we spend our time together you know, and how we actually make use of this little cluster of hours that we have. You know, that the Open Door Sangha have very lovingly created the space for us to practice in this way. We've got an exquisite, beautiful place to be in it's up to us what we do with it. So with that kind of like encouragement, you know, the encouragement for noble silence is, is not in any way to diminish how important it is to bond with each other. 
that actually is a really significant part of what happens in a, in a septum like this. But when we, um, we take the care to allow our attention to really settle into our own body, then when we are going to speak with each other, and I want to do that tomorrow afternoon, so tomorrow afternoon there's going to be a whole section on, on dialoguing with each other, then hopefully it can be grounded in really staying present with our body rather than what often happens when we're speaking is, is that we're just losing that contact and moving into a kind of habitual ways that we, we, we see and we respond. Yeah, And so, you know, and, and I know some of you have quite a lot of responsibilities and stuff, but if it's possible to abstain from the iPhones and from the emails and you know, and, and to wait to post things on Facebook until <laughs> after tomorrow afternoon, those would be really supportive. Too late. So, you know, just for from now from now from now on, just take a little bit of a pause from that whole realm if it's possible and and, and and let this be, you know, we don't have a lot of time. Just see if we can let this really drop deep. Okay. Did you have a question? I did, about what you were saying. Isn't cultivating meta another form of conditioning? Exactly. And isn't that because we don't know that we already are meta? That's right. Yes. So it, you know, cultivating metta is very much another form of conditioning, and it's this is one of these things where sometimes we have to use uh, conditioning in order to take us a few more steps to what is unconditioned, you know. So we actually generate qualities that are conditioned; they have been generated in order that we can get a feeling for. You know what's there when it all falls away. You know what's 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 there when everything falls away. And it was very much my intention for this weekend that we would do cultivate metta as a kind of getting people sensing their bodies, feeling what this feels like, and then touch into what it's like to drop any kind of holding or grasping or identifying with any of it. So back to the earlier question of do you listen to instructions or do you do not listen to instructions? I think really the essence question is 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 this leading you closer to source or not? If you're on meditation, you are rooted in source, there's no need to listen to instructions. But if in your own meditation you are not rooted to source, then sometimes listening to instructions can help support get you there. There was a question in the back. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you talk about holding and grasping, is it uh, just thoughts? And how does it compare to holding and grasping to pain in the body? Thoughts as opposed to pain in the body. Um, we are very highly equipped that we can hold and grasp onto anything. 
And we do that all the time. And and it's often the case that the stuff that we grasp onto the the most uh, intensely is the stuff for which there's quite a lot of suffering connected to it. And so, you know, we can see sometimes that we have had habits about the way we think about ourselves that is absolutely less than kind. And we're totally identified that that's correct. You know? So that's a thought. We definitely can attach to that thought. We can grasp onto that thought. But we can also grasp onto my body is this way and this is my body. You know? And when we do that, when we grasp onto that, my body is this way and this is my body, then we're, we're, there's a grasping onto pain. So the, um, working with pain in the body is, a, is for many of us, quite a, an ongoing practice. You know, we have, you know, people have illnesses, they have injuries, they are, you know, pain in the body is, a, is, a, is quite something to work with. And um, again, you know, our contemporary cultural values around pain is, is that if you're experiencing pain, something has really fundamentally gone wrong. And so there's an awful lot of resistance to opening up to pain in a way where there's balance and there's kindness and there's wisdom and there's skillfulness. And appropriate responsiveness and yet without any reactivity. And to be able to do that in some ways is very liberating, just that. Because so much conditioning is around not wanting to feel pain or have pain or be in pain. And it requires um, a lot of kindness. Because even when a person is very adept at meditating and they're being extremely careful not to contract or add any more resistance. There's still an exhaustion that happens when there's a lot of pain in the system that just takes more time to rest and often moves slower and you can't think as clearly or do as much and that comes with the package. So learning how to be with pain is part of the loving, caring things that we can learn in our meditation practice. For when it's arising in ourselves or in somebody that we are close to, to learn how to be with it. Yes? Yeah, I was wondering if you could, um, I guess not define, let me just start with saying, I, I think I have a knee-jerk reaction to the idea of source. Because where my rational mind goes is, oh, that's out there. And there have been so many mixed messages, um, you know, like in the spiritual communities that I've been in, um, which kind of um, define source or hint at source as being God or the undifferentiated field or. You know this quality that is apart from me, and um, you know I, I think that there's like my mind just makes something out of it, or wants to make something out of it, you know, or understand it. 
and my so my sense is I guess source is something that is just that we that we feel and it's not something that we rationalize. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, it's not a map that we construct. It's a realization that we have. And you know, there's good reasons to have problems with different ways that language is used. Mm-hmm. You know, that's valid. And I would never ask anyone to believe anything that I'm saying, ever, under any circumstances. So, you know, this is offered as a reflection, as an invitation, rather than as a requirement. Yeah. The way I experience it, source is not really the right word for me, because that seems to locate it in a point. And for me, it's not located in a point. It's, it's, it's awareness that pervades everything that I can access or not access. But when I do access, then it has a way of putting everything else into perspective. And it's not limited to people. It's not limited to living things. And it absolutely is not out there, separate from in here. But it's not in here, separate from out there. It actually is something that pervades everything. And so, you know, for me, really, the the beauty of meditation is to move back and forth between generating the conditions that support us to get a feeling for what this is and to touch into it. That's what we're doing with meditation. That's why we meditate. To clear the ground from the stuff that makes it difficult for us to to feel the stuff, to generate the conditions that support feeling, and to let our attention rest there. That's why we meditate. And, you know, for me, I'm not that focused on it being Buddhist. I mean, for me, I am. That's what I do. That makes a lot of sense to me, and I don't see it as we've got a monopoly on this stuff. You know? So. Yeah. Do you got the system set up? Or is it working? I think it's working right now. Put it quite close to your throat, Okay. More questions? Yes, please. Uh, um, just back for a minute to the subject of pain yeah. So much of the practice is uh, comes out of breath, learning to be with the breath, paying attention to the breath, using the breath. Um, what about when the breath itself is uncomfortable and painful? The breath is um, one of many, 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 many different meditation objects. It happens to be something that's um, fairly universal. So if you take a hundred people, the most people who are going to be able to get something are going to be able to work with the breath. If you look at the four foundations of mindfulness, it's a uh, meditation instruction that the Buddha gave. The breath is one of many. It's not the only one. So... We get habituated that meditation is about sitting and watching your breath. You know, it's very, um, you know, focused. It's too narrow. 
you know, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, just in the topic related to body, just in the topic related to body, there are 14 meditation objects. Okay. So there's posture, there's awareness of everything that's going on, there's the elements, there's the breath, there is the 32 parts of the body. So I did that mixed with breath this morning, right? And then there's nine specific meditations on death. And these are all part of contemplating the body. So breath is one of 14. But, you know, that's what we've gotten focused on and fixated on, and so we think that meditation is sitting and watching the breath. So if you're not sitting and you're not focused on the breath, you cannot possibly be meditating. And that's not correct. That's why I, the first thing I did was have everybody stand. You know, it was just to begin to start massaging some of the stuff that's gotten calcified. So when the breath is uncomfortable, you've got two choices. You can focus somewhere else, or you can see if you can stay with the uncomfort, discomfort in a way where it can release. And there isn't a right answer. You know, what's important is to just check that your motivation is coming from compassion rather than reactivity or fear. There's no right answer. more about what is surrender. And it seems to me it has something like surrender and taking refuge seem very related to me. And just just talk about surrender. You know, it's a good question, but I'm not going to answer it. Because um, if I start talking about it, then I have everybody in their heads thinking about it. And, And this is something that really people need to feel. They need to experience, they need to know what surrender is rather than hear what it is. Um, you know, I, I might talk a little bit more about it later, okay. but I think what would be good is for us to move back into meditation mm-hmm. and see if we can get a feeling for what it is for ourselves. You know, what's the difference between identifying with something, a thought or a feeling, or grabbing onto a noise or wishing that our our bodies would be more energized or we wouldn't have so much pain and letting it go. What what does that feel like? Okay, so um, why don't we stand? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.